uh, can I introduce my wife, Marilee? She's right down in front. Uh, we have uh, three adult children, all married. Nine grandchildren so far. As I'm told, that's it. And so uh, the basket is full or whatever you call it, the, the uh, quiver. Quiver is full now. And uh, uh, one of our sons lives in uh, Libertyville, so not too far away. So uh, we came visiting grandchildren this weekend uh, to coincide with your missions conference. Um, this church started uh, supporting us uh, about, let's see, who was I talking? Talking to somebody this morning, early service. I think it was around, it was 1987. Uh, that was the year, the t first year the Minnesota Twins uh, won the World Series, is why I remember that. And uh, we live in Minnesota. Uh, so it was 87. So that's been quite a long time ago. And so we've been part of your uh, church family uh, all these years. Uh, this year, things changed a little bit. So I retired uh, end of April. And uh, VCOB uh, began transferring their support from us personally to our family to the SALT organization ministry. So you're supporting our national workers. Uh, SALT today is totally indigenized. Uh, no foreigners involved with um, what we're doing uh, internationally. And uh, that's a good thing. So what do we do? Uh, we write a curriculum in a local language, a, a very complicated one. Uh, we don't translate stuff. We write it originally in that language and then teach local church leaders how to teach. So I'm going to give you a little flavor of some of what we do in terms of methodology is how we teach um, because uh, hopefully when you walk out the door this morning, uh, you'll have in your mind a little memory hook and you can share it and challenge and test each other with it, but it'll be to see if you actually were good students or maybe the real problem is, uh, was I actually an effective teacher? And so we'll see uh, how that works. But that's, that's going to come later. This morning, um, I want to talk about uh, the text that we're going to look at It's 3 John, it's not John chapter 3, it's 3 John, so if you have a Bible uh, or a phone, I'm going to use my phone this morning, um, book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, two pages before that is 3 John, and so we're going to uh, start there, and it starts off uh, this way, uh, he identifies himself and he says, Elder John, to Gaius, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Who is this elder John? Same John that wrote the gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation, all of those. He's probably a teenager when he started following Jesus. My guess is he was 16 or 17 years old. He was by far the youngest disciple of all that group. He was a hothead. Had a temper that got out of hand. We can recall the story. He and his big brother James both were hotheads, and they got really ticked off at this town, this village, because of their lack of response to Jesus, and they went to Jesus and said, why don't we just call down lightning on these people? Just burn them up, give them a little wake-up call. Of course, Jesus was not really impressed with that idea, and so John was about to begin a long journey of life transformation. At the end of his life, he was just this wonderfully beautiful, remarkable, sage, elderly godly man, known for his love for others. Quite a transformation. What else do we know about John? Uh, he was unique. He was part of this inner circle of Jesus. So three guys, Peter, and then James and John, these two brothers, they were called the sons of thunder, not a compliment. And uh, they were the ones that were on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, which would have been just awesome if you or I could have been there. And that was when the voice of God spoke audibly. It was very clear. They saw Jesus, and there he was talking with Moses and Elijah. 
amazing, remarkable experience. Um, John was probably uh, the only disciple who was with Jesus at the cross. Uh, Everybody else ran except him. If you remember from the cross, Jesus looked at John, looked at his mother, and he said, uh, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son, basically saying, John, will you take care of my mom and watch over her, which he did. History has it that John probably stayed in Jerusalem with Mary until she passed away, though that wasn't the only place uh, we know or we believe that Mary traveled. And then it was after her death that he started traveling, and uh, we bump into this book, Third John. Um, John was the disciple that we read that says the disciple that Jesus loved. And so at the Last Supper, uh, it was John who was sitting next to Jesus, leaning against him in that fashion, the way they ate in those times. Uh, And so uh, Jesus was very, very, John was very, very close to Jesus. Well, what did John do in terms of his ministry? Um, He was there when Jesus gave the Great Commission and said, you're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which he was, and Judea, which he was, and then Samaria, and then the remotest part of the earth. And John understood that, as that's not something you do consecutively. You get everything settled and people reached in your home community before you go beyond. He said, no, uh, Jesus underst- he understood Jesus' words. Is, this all happens to happen simultaneously. It begins here in Bartlett, as well as, I don't know what county you're in. Is this Lake or Cook? One of those. Or is it something else? Uh, it's Cook. Too bad for you. And so uh, you go beyond Cook to Illinois, the U.S., and to the other places. All at the same time, there's reason for that, and there's benefit for you to be connecting, sending workers out that are part of your community or associated with you um, that are, speak a different language in a different part of the world, and there are benefits to you and challenges for you. So hopefully this morning, some of that will come through too. Um, No offense about Cook County. I'm just a smart aleck, and uh, I say things like that, and then I'll regret them a moment later. Uh, Never quite figured out John's transformation life. I'm not as big a hothead as him, but I have my own problems. Okay, we all need a little bit of transformation, I think. Uh, So what else do we know about John? Um, He probably served most effectively in what we call... Turkey today, so it'd be central and western Turkey, and if you read uh, early in the book of Revelation, those seven churches that are mentioned there, perhaps those were churches where John served in. So now we meet this guy, the elder John, and um, we assume from the letter that he wrote here that he was addressing a problem in the local church. And so John wants to know uh, if your church, if the Bartlett church the church that he wrote to Gaius at, where Gaius was at, um, if they were experiencing problems that needed some correction related to their cross-cultural or global outreach workers. And so, I don't know if there are problems here in this church related to that. You can think about that, and maybe uh, it'll be worth some discussion later on. So we want to get into... um, what John is going to tell us. So before we do that, why don't you join me in prayer and then we'll read the rest of this text. Let's pray together. Father, we um, are going to look at uh, your son, Elder John's words, this short little book for us and for the village church of Bartlett. 
but for everybody who's sitting here. And would you open our ears, stimulate our thinking, quiet our hearts. Would you in your goodness prevent distractions, whether they're in our own minds, things we're worried about, our phone buzzing, something else that we can pay attention to you. Uh, use me as you would, but anoint your word, and we thank you so much for it. We give you our time now. Would you be pleased with how we respond, how we listen, so that we might live for you, all for your glory. We pray in your son's name, amen. Well, let's look at this book of Third John. I didn't bring the correct Bible this morning, and so I'm using my phone. I hope you don't mind. Normally, I would have a Bible. I like holding things that you can turn pages on, but that's different. All right, so it begins. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, we're going to run into these words, you, Y-O-U, and they're all singular. They're just to this guy, Gaius. It isn't necessarily to the church as a whole. And he continues, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Isn't that an interesting word? Uh, maybe you can ask each other that sometime, from time to time. How is your soul? And how are you doing there? That's what John is concerned about. He continues, verse three, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And here's the verse we all know and like. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He continues. Now, this is what I'm going to pay more attention on in our message this morning, verses 5 to 8. Beloved, so Gaius, that's who he's talking to. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on our journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And now we come to an interruption. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Now listen to what John says. So if I come, I'll bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Okay, this is a leading church member that's got this other agenda. Beloved, okay, Gaius, now he comes back to him. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, another godly guy, friend with Gaius. Gaius knows. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know our testimony is true. And in closing, I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. So I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you, that is, the brothers and sisters with John. Greet the friends, the other brothers and sisters at Gaius' church. Greet the friends each by name. Real personal letter, very succinct. And, of course, lots more to come because uh, he's got a lot to say. I would not like to be this guy, Diotrephes, when John shows up. 
I think he's going to get more than just an earful. Um, one of the common themes of missions is opposition. And a lot of times we think opposition is something that happens over there when we're talking about uh, cross-cultural work, global workers, that kind of thing. And of course, we have that. Uh, I, we lived overseas for 37 years. And so we uh, would run into opposition. You'll hear a little bit more about that uh, in a little bit. But the other point is opposition happens here. Happens in the local church too. And this is specifically what John's a little bit upset about. It's not a surprise because sometimes we think, um, why should we be supporting something on the other side of the world that has nothing to do with us no connections at all. We don't even have our act together and things settled down here in our own community, and we waste our time spending money outside it. We should be focusing on where we really have good connections, and that, of course, is a natural, unsurprising argument. But there's another way to look at things. And so this is a letter about opposition from the local church, and so this guy, Diotrephes, an interesting guy, what does it say he's interested in, first of all, first and foremost? Himself. And so, John would send some co-workers, he calls them strangers, because that local church didn't know them. They were simply came on John's recommendation. They show up, and Diotrephes is not at all pleased. Probably a lot of reasons for this. He probably felt threatened by them. Maybe they knew scripture better than him. Um, it cost him and the local church something, that people might pay more attention to them uh, than to what he was doing. He got so upset and irritated about it, he was, became the driving opposition force so that if you host any of these people, he would kick you out of the church, probably on some pretense that they're heretics or there's something wrong with them. And so there was obvious real tension within the local church. So this is how to do it wrong and that is opposition from uh, within the church. So let's look at how do we get missions right. And this is what we find out from Gaius and what John is saying to him. So we're going to turn and look at these uh, four verses, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, what I'm going to do here, I'm going I'm to explain a little bit. What would your role be or could or should your role be in terms of your involvement with cross-cultural workers like me or what I used to be doing or people that you support now? And then what is our role as uh, the workers? What is it that we're to be doing? John mentions eight things. I'm gonna talk about all eight of them. I thought I'd hear a little bit of a groan. It's like, oh, you're kidding. I mean, three is enough. And so I'm gonna go through them really fast. Uh, to your relief, I hope. And then I'm going to come back and talk about one for sure, and if we have time, a second one. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, so these are going to be eight things that John wants the local church to get or to do or to embrace in terms of relating to those who are cross-cultural workers. Okay, how are you going to remember those eight things? Because there's going to be a test later on, and I'd like everyone to pass, and so I've got a, I've got a, a trick uh, we call it a memory hook. And so part of the SALT ministry, what we do uh, is we don't just create a curriculum for people to teach, but we teach them how to teach this. But the problem was is we weren't dealing with people with maybe a college degree or some kind of education degree. Uh, they were preachers, evangelists, uh, but they just knew how to preach 
evangelism. They didn't know how to teach the scripture. And, and they tend to have about a sixth or seventh grade education. They were not stupid people, uh, but they didn't have a lot of training. So the trick was, how do you get someone with a sixth or seventh education to have the confidence and the skill level to actually teach and not just preach? And so it took us a while, but we figured it out. And we used little things uh, called memory hooks. And a memory hook is a summary of a chapter. I don't mean a chapter of the Bible necessarily, but a chapter in one of our courses and it helps the teacher remember what is the outline, the theme, how are we going to get through this, what are the points to cover. And so a memory hook could be a, a little poem, uh, could be a little graphic or some kind of stick figure that illustrates things, could be something that two people do with one another to act it out. And so another way is to come up with an acronym. So that's going to be easy. So I'm going to teach you an acronym. And the acronym has eight points. It's two words. And the letter of each of those words is going to be part of what John is talking to Gaius about. So that you'll go home, I hope, with this acronym in your head. And you'll be able to use it to remember, okay, this is what we could be involved in. And then the application of it is which of these eight points might be one that you want to get a grip on. And begin to start doing, using, getting involved with. So here we go. We're going to blast through these eight things just to give a quick highlight. First one, verse 5. And John identifies perhaps the key role. And he says, it's really great that you are faithful. I think this is going to come up. There it is. It is a faithful thing you do. So this is the foundation. I think we know what faithfulness is. Uh, tenacity, stick to itness, consistency, uh, being counted on. All right, so long term thinking, longevity, uh, repetition. That's this faithful concept. The second one he says is beloved or Gaius. It's a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers. So, efforts um, is the second one. This is the wrong uh, slide. And so, there we go. And so verse 5, um, I want to change efforts to being active. And so effort is initiative, so is active. And the third thing he mentions is, uh, the, I want I thank you for your efforts for these brothers, strangers as it were. He uses this term strangers because they weren't from the local body. So we would call these people missionaries. It would be one way to call them. But in our um, vernacular today, we call them global workers. So that's who they are. Then the next thing he says is uh, verse 6, the beginning of verse 6, about how the church practiced uh, sacrificial love. This is the agape love. So that's uh, you loved them uh, from your church. All right, so that's the first part. Then we move on, verse 6b. These people should be people that are sent out. And he says, we want to send them out. And there's two aspects to this sending out. The first one is in a manner worthy of God. Uh, So that's their character and and how the church relates to them. Do it in a godly, good, sincere um, way that reflects God's goodness. But the second way is we send them out in the name. And that is what they are doing. They're going out to teach about Jesus, which is what um, Pastor Dean talked about a moment ago. So sending them out. Then we come to verse 7, the last part of verse 7, and he says, these co-workers accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Well, that isn't what the church should be doing, um, giving them nothing, but rather the church should do the opposite, and so I've considered this helping. 
And so the church helps in whatever way you can. What should you do to help us cross-cultural workers? Are there some things you can, there are some things, and some things, you know, we're just kind of on our own, we gotta figure out, but work that out together. The next thing he talks about besides that is, he says, we ought to support people like these. Uh, the ESV translates this word support, the, the original word, the English word they use, the word support, that's a little bit too broad. What does support mean? Does it mean just money? Uh, how do you support them? And so some translations say to entertain. That doesn't mean take them out to the movie or uh, 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 do something that's uh, silly or funny for them, but the entertain is the, is the concept of hospitality. And so hospitality is what John is talking about here is bring them into your home, give them something to eat, give them a place to rest, to recuperate, and use hospitality as a gift for them. Then the last one he has is he says, consider these people as fellow workers for the truth. So if you think of me, or you think of some of the global workers that you support, think of us as an extension of your ministry or your church staff here. Could you think of us as part of your church staff and we're doing something on your behalf for God's glory in his name in another country, maybe in another language, certainly a different culture. And so we do this together. And so your church staff team is more than just the people you see on Sunday mornings. All right, so here's, here's these eight things. How are you gonna remember all eight of them? So, okay, let's leave it there. And now I wanna give you a little quiz. I mentioned all eight of them. You tell me how many of them you can remember without looking at your Bibles. Just name them out loudly. Faithful. Merrily, you're not allowed to say anything. I can't believe she actually started saying something. Okay, sending, all right. Loving. Somebody said active, I think. Hum uh, wasn't humility. Host host unity. Oh, I'm sorry. Hearing problem. Uh, am I missing any that you said? Sending, okay. All right, now let's back up. Can any, any of you think you can do all eight from memory? Oh, wow, I can't believe it. I'm not gonna ask you, so you don't but I don't believe you either. So, it's just my own skepticism. All right, here's, here's this thing, flash hug. So, this is a acronym. And we found out that if you do a motion with a word, you tend to remember it more. Make sense? And so, here's the motion. I want you to, um, this is real cheesy. This is a real dorky thing. If you're a teenager, you're gonna think this is just so stupid. It is. I'm not trying, gonna try to convince you it isn't. And if you're too cool to do it, I don't care. Don't do it. So, but here's for the rest of us that are really into this and are paying attention and wanna get an A on the test. Um, here's what you do. So you got your hands here. Now, if you're gonna make a um, demonstration of flash, what would you do? Yeah, yeah, you got it. And so you'd go like this, okay? So the hand motion is just simply gonna help your memory. That's, that's the whole point of it. And, and it's silly on purpose because when it's dorky and silly, you tend to remember it better. Okay, and so it, there's gonna be two things. It's gonna be flash, hug, okay? Can you do that? Is that too complicated? 
and, but it's embarrassing. So that's the other reason to not do it. All right, so ready? Flash, hug. Okay, so let's go through these letters. F-L-A-S-H-H-U-G. You could switch them around. I mean, this is, I am not God. This is not divine. I just sat at my desk one day and said, how can I remember that? Hey, how about flash? I used to say hum uh, because I used the word missionary instead of global worker. And then um, Michelle said, you can't use that word. Uh, you got to use global worker. That's the way we are. So I thought, oh, hug. We could do hug. And that's kind of nice. Okay, so that's it. F, faithful. L, loving. A, active. S, sending. Now, which H? I'm doing the shorter one first, okay? So H, help or helping. The second H, hospitality. You, can you get this one? Unity. And the last one's tricky. Global worker, okay? So those are our words. Flash, hug. So when you leave the church today, you're having lunch, you can say, hey, do you remember the flash hug? Do you remember what they all stand for? It's just eight things. And you can go, flash, hug, and then quiz each other, okay? And whoever doesn't get it pays for lunch. You could, I don't know, try something like that. Okay, so I have eight minutes. All right. Um, I want to talk about faithful. And if we have time, I want to talk about loving. Um, from a global cross-cultural worker perspective, from my perspective, uh, this faithful thing hits me on two dimensions in particular. One is, and both have to do with you. Both have to do with you. And the first one is being faithful at prayer. Even daily prayer. A, a real routine prayer, intentional, predictable prayer for at least one global worker. Just pick one. Your church has a handful, and most of them have been here this week. And so pick one of them. Get to know one of these people. Get on their prayer list and use a little bit of your imagination about what their life might be like and things you could pray for them. If it's kids, if it's parents, if it's little babies, it's diapers, it's getting sick, it's health care, it's food, uh, it's sanitation. If it's older kids, it's, you know what that's like. Pray for the older kids and the issues that they're facing and the challenges. Um, energy uh, for, as a parent. Uh, use your imagination of what their life might be like. And then if they come here and they come through intentionally, say, can I have coffee with you? I just want to understand your life a little bit better. And I'd like to share with you a little bit of mine. Don't spend all the time talking about your life. Ask them questions. What's, what's it like? What's hard for you? What has God taught you? What have you learned? Um, how can I pray better for you? Prayer. So one of the things in faithful is faithful in prayer. The second thing is would you be faithful in your walk with God? Would you be faithful in your walk with God? That means the world to us as cross-cultural workers. I don't think I can stress this enough that you would understand how deeply important that is to us who are half the world away but when you are faithful and stable and steady 
and you press hard through hardship and disappointments and pain and loss and doubts and difficulties, but you take those and you let God say, God, what am I supposed to learn through this? How do you want to change me? This isn't by accident. Work in my heart and life. When we know you do that, rather than give up, walk away, deny, that's hard for us. I can't tell you how many times we get notes and letters of things like that, and it, it's just knocks the wind out of us, knocks the feet out from under us. Because when you are faithful, we go through hardship and difficulty and all those things too, and it's hard. But if you can be faithful, then I will too. And if I can be faithful, you will too. It works two ways, brothers and sisters. And so, how are you to be faithful? Prayer and in your walk with the Lord. And when you struggle, get help. Call on each other. Don't be an American and just be an individual and do it yourself. That's not good. Okay, faithful. Faithful in prayer. So I'm gonna tell you a few stories and encourage you to be faithful. Uh, We met this lady named Dorcas. Dorcas, if you know your New Testament, means gazelle. And um, in the 70s, second day of her honeymoon, she got arrested by the police. It was intentional thrilling moment in her life. Let's go arrest this woman now. That's a good time to just take the wind out of her sails. And then she went to prison and uh, eventually she was knocked down in the prison sequence to death row. Never a charge brought against her. Eventually she was released. I'll tell you that story maybe if we have time. But I met Dorcas 20 years later in the 1990s. Uh, She was just a, a seasoned saint and she was my age. And boy was I, did I feel like a little baby Christian next to her, and one of the things she asked the first day that uh, we were with her is she said, are people praying for you? She was just real hesitant to get very involved with us or to let us in on too much of what was going on in her life because she wanted to know, is God in this? And I said, yes, ma'am. People are praying. A lot of people are praying, and they're praying now, this day for this time with you. You can count on it. Were you praying? Were you faithful to pray? Did you remember me? Maybe or one of your global workers. A year later, I was at a training site. Um, We didn't know the people who came and the training, of course. Turned out one of them was a government spy. And so they reported me and uh, my other coworker to the police. Police showed up day two, arrested us, took our passports, put us in the police van. We head down to the city, back into the city. Boy, was that nervous time. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to them, the people who we were teaching? Uh, because they've got this connection with these foreigners and we didn't have a permit for it. And the police took us to our hotel, said, you guys show up at the police station in the morning and we'll have some questions for you. What a night. Anticipating the next day. Fear has, does all kinds of goofy things in your head. Were you praying? Did you pray for your global coworker? And so we got up the next morning, we, we rehearsed what our story was going to be all that night because we knew they'd separate us and ask us questions separately to uh, see if it made sense. We couldn't believe they let us go to the hotel to practice. And uh, so we got our passports back, got our hands slapped. Uh, nobody got in too serious trouble. Um, but the point is, is were you praying? A few years later, I was in a 
a big passenger van. It was a 15-seat passenger van, and there were, um, it was one of those where there's a door on the side. And so we were, uh, two of us foreigners, again, it was dead of winters, 30 below zero, super cold, no heat in the van. Uh, we had our stocking caps on, scarf covering our noses, because our noses are dead giveaway that we're not local. And the only thing that was exposed was the color of our eyes, which is the wrong color. And so there were about um, four local people, five local people in that van. And so they stopped, there was a police checkpoint, and they stopped our van before we headed across this huge river and bridge. And they wanted to inspect the van. One of our guys, one of the local guys, gets out, talks to the police, and they say, we want to come in and search the van. And so um, I'm sitting, here's the door of the van. Door opens, policeman steps into the van. I'm sitting in this seat looking to the front right here. My coworker is in another seat on the aisle on the other side, the driver's up there, and these other people. Now, when, you, when you're in that country, um, you learn early on, uh, you don't look eye to eye, especially to police people. You always look just straight ahead or you look down. Uh, if you look any other way, you're a foreigner. They can just spot it right off the bat, and so it's easy to tell. And so uh, we just sat there, and, and, uh, and in my thought, it was God. This is the moment. Wake your people up. They've got to be praying because we're in trouble. Or these people we're with are going to be in serious trouble. Get them up. Get them on their knees. Protect us. Have that policeman turn to the left so that he doesn't move to the right and start noticing who's in the van. And sure enough, after he steps into the van, he turns to the left. He noticed some boxes back there, and he goes back there, and he wants to know, what are these things? And our handler says, oh, these are, these are Christian materials. Policeman says, is any of this pornography? He says, nope, none of it's pornography. Says, okay, then, you can go. He walks back, heads off the van, and we take off. His job was just to look for pornography. Thank the Lord. Were you praying? A little while later, uh, we were doing a field test. Every time we write a new course, uh, we rehearse it to see if it's going to fly. And will the locals... Uh, and not just understand it, but will they be able to teach it? And so we're going along in this field test, and one of our uh, American guys was teaching it. He hadn't really done his homework really well. He was teaching a particular chapter in this book, and he said something that was not right at all. Sounded pretty impressive, but I leaned over to one of our friends, and I said, did he just say what, he said, what I think he said? Did he say this? And he goes, yeah, I think that's what he said. I said, that, we, we can't let him get by with that. that. We can't teach that to the local people, and they think that that's the truth. And so I interrupted him in English to not embarrass him, and I said, uh, uh, did you say what uh, we think you said? Did you say this? He said, yeah. And I said, that's not right. That is not accurate. It's not truthful. Um, that's an exaggeration. You need to correct that because we don't want any of these people teaching. That's not what's written in the material. And so he did, but boy, was he mad. He was fuming that he had been corrected, that he had been embarrassed, uh, that he had to go back and, and say that he was wrong. And so I didn't know how furious and fuming he was. We had another night and a half there, and then we get in the van. We come back to three of us, him and I and one other guy. We come back to where we're going to get dropped off. We'd been out in the countryside. We come to the city, and now is his moment. And he laid into me and let me have it. What he thought about me and my leadership, and my character. And the knife went in deeply and twisted, and it was painful. And it was wrong, and it was misrepresentation, 
and it was all about him being embarrassed. But I listened and let him vent, and as soon as he got done, he took off and just let me wallow around in the slime and the accusations. I thought, oh boy. We were just exhausted, and that always makes things worse, you know. And so I had an appointment later on that afternoon. I took off. I'm going to have this appointment. It's going to be a fundraising appointment. I thought this guy was really going to come through for us and help us out financially. He didn't ask hardly a question about what we were doing. It was all about what he was doing. Total waste of time and energy. Uh, shouldn't have, I should have just rested someplace. And then I go to the airport, and I'm going to fly to the border town to go home. And the plane's delayed. And then the plane's delayed. And the plane's delayed. And finally... I'm gonna, eventually I'm going to get to the border and the border will be closed. I'm going to have to spend another night in that country before I could go home. It's just depressed, discouraged. Does God love me anymore? You know, just stupid thoughts like that. And so I get on the plane. Turned out 90% of the plane is empty and I'm thinking, oh good, I can just crawl up against an empty window with nobody anywhere near me and I can just be quiet and just pray and just lick my wounds, and ask God to give me a better attitude and perspective. That started off okay, and then I heard a voice, and it said, may I have this seat? And just knee-jerk reaction, I said, oh, okay, because I thought, I didn't sit where I was assigned, nobody did, and because there were only 10% of the passengers on the plane, and so the, sitting right next, now sits next to me is this beautiful local woman, Smelled wonderfully, and she had other interests on her mind that were not my best interests or my family's best interests. And for three hours, I had to sit next to this woman, leaning into me, smelling her perfume. I was rude, I was unkind, and I said, God, this is the enemy when I'm weak and vulnerable and tempted to anything. When you're really hurting and somebody shows you attention, it feels good. And I knew that was the liar's tactic. God, are people praying? Wake them up. I need help. Keep me faithful to what you've called me to. Were you praying? Do you pray? And so uh, God spared me. Got off the plane. I ran into the men's bathroom and hid for a really weird long time. So that lady was way out of sight. And eventually went home and told my wife, I was a good boy, but boy, was it hard. Were you praying? Do you pray? So what do I want to leave you with this morning? I'm way over time, and I'm sorry, but the worst thing they can do is tell me to go home. So flash hug. Faithful, loving, active, sending, helping, hospitality, unity, global worker. What's an area that you could begin to embrace? To be an encouragement, a participant with some of these people that are part of your mission conference, you're part of your church life. Get to know them. Learn about their life a little bit. It'll be, it'll be good for you, life-changing, and an encouragement to them. So can Village Church of Bartlett be a flash hug church? I think so. You have been in many ways, but more of you could be. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for Elder John and his words of encouragement. 
pretty straightforward with this guy, Diotrephes. He didn't mince his words, and sometimes we need to hear that. Help us to be tenderhearted toward you, your spirit, your work in our lives. And now as these people have listened to these ideas and thoughts from me, uh, put that aside, let them listen to you. It's all about you, our love for you. Help them to be faithful to you. Oh, how we need faithful people to live and love you. We ask this, that you might be glorified in your son's name. Amen.